0: My name is Laura Lee Rourke. How are you guys doing today? This is the It's Not About Food podcast. And today's show is about compassion. And the card in the front is the goddess with her hand on her heart and also her other hand sort of on the deer, dog, power animal thing, <laughs> person, On the head of that, and there's a lot of really bright, beautiful light all around her. And uh, she just looks like she's a very compassionate goddess. And we read, compassion is the necessary foundation for all healing. When we can have compassion for the parts of ourselves that we dislike the most, we can let go of the debilitating shame and self-hatred we have carried for so long and use our compassion to bring love, understanding, and then, if necessary, change. So for me, one of the best parts about... My recovery was I found compassion for myself. I had a lot of compassion for other people. I understood if people messed up in their life and did the wrong thing, and I had none for me. I thought I should be above it, I should rise above it, and I should be better than that, and I just didn't give myself any breaks at all. I obviously realized I came from that kind of a culture and family, but when I did need to learn how to have it for myself in order to recover, then it felt really horrible at first. I felt like I was weak willed and I didn't have my together and what's the matter with me. But I just kept on trying to have compassion and love and respect and honor for myself as I went through it. And I followed, I had a therapist who really modeled compassion for me. And I noticed that I had a lot of compassion and love for my animals and for my own son. And for people who I loved, and I just started to just put myself in that same position of deserving and and needing compassion, too. Yeah, so when I read your book, I heard a lot of compassion and just a lot of big, big feelings in that book. And I really did enjoy
1: it so much. And so I'm going to introduce Tamin. So my name is Tamin Faridi. And thank you so much for liking my book. I um, <laughs> read your book about 10 years ago, it's not about food. And that was such a life-changing experience for me as well. I love that you say that. Thank you very it much. It really, really was. It just kind of woke me up to compassion, to my own journey with compassion. Mm-hmm. And so coming back to, you know, what you said just now about your body love cards, which I love so much, and particularly compassion. So that first sentence there is where you say that compassion is the necessary foundation for all healing. And that's actually also your, you know, first of the 10 principles from It's Not About Food where you write that compassion is the foundation of all recovery, self-love and respect create the most fertile grounds for change. And I think even when I was writing my book, Invisible Treats, Poetic Delicacies for the Hungry Heart, unconsciously, a lot of it was almost written in an unconscious way. That was sort of my key principle that I kept kind of coming back to again and again, because It's really, I think, the main building block on the road to recovery from an eating disorder. And that, you know, helps one really create any kind of structure for healing that is sustainable. So then I was also kind of thinking that what does compassion really mean? And... I would say that especially for me and this whole journey of uh, disordered eating, it's also about self-compassion. And that kind of includes, I think, not only compassion for yourself, but also for the whole of common humanity as well. So for yourself and others, like you just described, you know, how you had compassion for your animals and those around you and that kind of flowed back within yourself. So for me, compassion was first sort of letting go of that self-judgment and so really focusing on self-kindness. And it's almost like you're moved by your own pain and suffering that you've caused yourself and you're kind of turning inwards. That's, I think, when I was writing my poetry unconsciously, that is what I was doing, is like I was turning towards myself. I would to a a best friend, you know, I was becoming my own best friend and opening my heart and my arms sort of figuratively towards myself. And it's almost like that self-kindness for me became like a, a soul balm. I was offering love and gentleness to myself and to others because I realized that we are both the healer and the patient. And one of my favorite Rumi quotes that inspired me a lot is where he writes that, we are pain and what cures pain both. We are the sweet, cold water and
0: the jar that pours. It's like what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, or the law of homeopathy of the very thing that would make you sick is the thing that will make you well. So beautiful.
1: I explore that. I think, again, a lot of this writing, it almost came to me in a trance-like unconscious state, Is especially, you know, through the years reading Rumi as well. It was so healing. And when he writes about how we are both the healer and the patient, that's the first component of, of self-compassion, of compassion, which is self-kindness, which is so important, Right. And then I was thinking also, you know, that compassion itself, what it actually means, a strong feeling of sympathy for the suffering of other people, a desire to want to help them. So by definition, it's also that you're in a relationship with yourself, but also a relationship with the rest of the world, right? Right. With the common, common humanity. Exactly. And uh, I've actually, you know, lived in 10 different countries, you know, I've experienced so many cultures and religions and, you know, parts of the world to Europe, North America and the Indian subcontinent, Middle East, Asia, Southeast Asia. I've I've been all over the place. I'm like a third culture kid and now adult. And basically what I could see is that we are all the same. Yeah, you know, the same joys, same needs, you know, and the same sorrows. But especially with eating, I think for me personally, there was so much isolation, like, there's so much secrecy, there's so much aloneness. And I think that came out in my poems as well, that there's this very sort of constricted space, this deep self-loathing and shame and separateness, constant comparisons. You know, I'm sort of always saying, am I the fattest one in the room kind of thing, you know, all the time. (gasps) right, Right. I'm the one eating the most right now. Right. I'm sure that sounds familiar, you know, Uh so that you feel very alone in your suffering. But this aspect of compassion, I think, especially for people who are on this journey of the road to healing from disordered eating is this feeling of interconnectedness. That the universality of our suffering, that we are not alone, we are part of the human family, that we share our, our imperfections, that we have both weakness and strengths, just makes life sort of a much more of a rich tapestry and that we are all connected and so we feel less judgmental. I feel much less judgmental about myself. So that was another very important aspect of compassion. And then the third part of it for me for was this whole aspect of mindfulness, which is basically being present and seeing things as they are, but not worse than they are. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> like not sort Just of
0: what it is, it is what it, it is. is. What-
1: what it is, mm-hmm. it is what it is. So, that I think John Cabot Zinn, who writes a lot about mindfulness, he says that mindfulness is the awareness that arises from paying attention on purpose in the present moment and non judgmentally. Do you think he's American? <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's a great statement. Take a stand on that one is really fabulous.
1: Well, I think especially with uh, this whole idea of disordered eating, I mean, for me personally, I get so lost in my thoughts and in my emotions, the past and the future, but I'm kind of a bit floaty in the air and I'm not really grounded in the present reality, you know, in the present moment. Right. And I've got like all these stories running around in my head about, you know, the way life should be and how I'm not what I'm supposed to be. And you kind of get lost in this rumination and all these thoughts and you're always sort of reacting rather than just sort of giving yourself that mental space and I write about this as well that whole idea of just giving yourself some space and some freedom from where you can make those choices for self-love Yes. so you can break all those patterns of self-criticism and just being on automatic pilot like decades go by
0: decades go by, lifetimes generations go by and people are so full of shame over the most I don't know, human thing of all which is eating (laughs) you know right? and uh, we're not supposed to eat or we're not supposed to eat this or we're supposed to be clean eating and healthy eating and wellness eating which is really at this point has been co-opted by the diet industry and really means to be dieting and for a bigger goal, which is to be thin. And those things have to be sort of looked at and thrown out and keep what you like and throw out the rest because it drives us insane to try to keep all these balls in the air all the time.
1: Well, I feel like we're just putting in more and more rules, like the rules are just changing, but they're still rules. What is clean, what is not clean, what is okay, what is not okay and all. It's just new clothes for the same old stories. Right. And it's
0: sort of like how we keep ourselves and the people in control. So it's been happening since the dawn of time, I guess. But you did a big move this year. And how are you having to have compassion for yourself as you're starting this new life in a new city, in a new country, new continent even?
1: I think, yes, especially at this time, compassion is really important because having to deal with so many new things. I think about taking baby steps, and that's where, I mean, for me personally, I think just being present to today to the present moment uh-huh. It's so important, rather than, again, getting lost in tomorrows and thoughts and how to do this and how to do that and, and all of that. And, well, you know, I think living in Paris, I mean, we've got the bakeries literally at every corner. <laughs>
0: Which is what so, I personally love about
1: Paris. Yes. <laughs> and it's really wonderful here, actually, because people are eating carbs. They've got their three loaves of bread under <laughs> yes. one arm. You know. <laughs> so, I know. And, so,
0: and they're not blowing up like giant balloons over it.
1: No, they know everybody is walking, everybody is enjoying their food, everybody is enjoying life. Yes. That's what uh, I love about going to
0: different countries is you see that, of course, there's eating disorders. Of course, there's body hatred. Of course, there's alcoholism and there's body and there's molestation and there's childhood trauma. There's everything. But they're not somehow, I find in other countries, they're not as rigid as we are about what you must look like. And if you don't come from that body type, then you better diet forever then. So I do really love to go to other countries to see a little bit loosening of that corset that we all have to wear here.
1: Right. Well, I mean, I do think it's a double-edged sword though, because I feel, for example, my daughter is a teenager. So amongst her friends, and even since she's come here, I do feel that maybe it's that age group that they are much more conscious of weight and of eating so that is something that probably I should explore more with her as well because I noticed it's coming up more she is definitely more conscious here than she was when we were previously so interesting there it's like both sides whereas here you know it is wonderful bakery and the breads but also I see especially amongst teenage girls this strong uh, desire for a controlling weight, for looking a certain way, for behaving a certain way. So that is still very much prevalent here as well, so. There is about that.
0: Yeah, and I work with a lot of teenage, especially girls that are peer educators. We go to schools and talk about this issue, and they have really had it coming at them for a long time. And when they get recovery from that, they want to spread the word because it's sort of like a light bulb went off that there's more to life other than what size jeans I'm going to fit into and what color is my nail polish. That they It opens up their whole world when it can come off of their body and into, well, what do you want to really do? What does your heart say? What does your soul want to do? And uh, I feel like we need to talk about this and let our youth know you don't have to be perfect. In fact, it's not going to be possible to be perfect.
1: Mm. Life, in fact, is lived in the imperfections, not the perfections, because it doesn't exist. So does not exist. Yeah. No
0: matter what kind of toothpaste you use. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that takes me to this idea of like when you were younger. And say you were sitting on your bed somewhere, I'm not sure, where were you when you were about 16, do you know? I
1: was in Tokyo.
0: (laughs) Tokyo. So you're sitting in Tokyo with all these feelings. And if you had somebody like you walk into the room and sit down and start talking to you, what would you say about to this young girl that's going to go through this life and what she could do to maybe a little easier on her emotionally and spiritually and physically?
1: I wish somebody had had been around, actually, to talk to me at that time, because I think, for me, that was a particularly difficult time, I think. Again, culturally speaking, in Japan at that time, everybody looked a certain way. I certainly did not look that way at all. So I had a lot of self-hatred. I had a lot of the inner critic was really, really strong. There was a lot of shame. There was a lot of secrecy in my eating. It was a very difficult time, At that time, I wish there were more role models, actually, and other young girls who could have said things like, it's okay to be who you are, to look the way you look like. It's okay not to fit in. Right. Wouldn't that have been nice, huh? Yeah, I think that would have been wonderful. And I think certainly now with uh, with my own daughter and I think with some of her friends, this is a conversation that I'd like to start actually with them.
0: Oh, I just think it would be so great especially if your daughter would let you. Yes. <laughs> you know, but, um, I know that <laughs> I mean that's why we started Beyond Hunger in 1988 in about 1998, we decided we got to get into the schools because we're talking a lot to adults, which we needed to talk to them because they were women who had been suffering for years and years and years. So, of course, we needed to be giving support to them. But both started our own eating disorders in a junior high, and we've got to get in there and start. Telling them they don't have to bow down to the cultural expectation or their family expectation or their school yeah that they have a heart and a soul and a body and they can come from that place that's gonna be with them their whole life and so I really do encourage you to at least start with the talk with your daughter and then go out from there, start spreading the word that there's a bigger thing to do here other than... Don't eat carbs.
1: (laughs) I know. And I think this is where also it's actually maybe interesting to have a conversation around this whole idea of self-esteem versus self-compassion. Because especially I think now in our society, this whole idea about self-esteem and positive psychology, which is good also in that self-esteem is something that is very important. But sometimes it leads to a lot of comparisons, with other people, especially in that age group. And I think that there needs to be a shift from self-esteem into this whole idea of self-compassion to move away from these endless comparisons, especially through social media that I see that the young girls that are doing all the time. Yes. And moving more towards this idea of embracing both your strengths you know, and your weaknesses, Yes, which is this whole idea of self-compassion. Rather than self-esteem, which can be like contingent on your self-worth or like how much you weigh or how you're looking or how other people are judging you, right? Or what kind of clothes you wear. What What clothes you're wearing, which shop are you going to shop at? You're kind of always making judgments about yourself, about the way you look, Mm -hmm. whereas self-compassion is uh, really much softer, much kinder, much gentler. Mm -hmm. It can't really be shaken that easily. You're not really dependent on anybody else's value systems, but it's not about good behavior versus bad behavior or it's just behavior. It's just good and bad. It's just what life is, right? It's not as black as
0: and white as we're told that it is. I mean, I learned that in the school I went to and the family I was born into and, and also into the church that I went to. It was very, very black and white. You are a sinner or you're not or you're good or you're bad. There was no compassion if you were bad. You just had to stop being bad and be good, whatever that was. You know, it was insane.
1: Yeah, I think that translates through many faiths for a woman i think cultural perceptions about you have to be a good girl you can't rock the boat you have to follow the paths that are laid out for you all these things you're not supposed to have a voice so these things come up i think for women even more
0: i agree But there's still, you have a son, yeah? You have a boy? Mm -hmm. I mean, I grew up as a little girl, obviously, and then I didn't have a little girl, I had a little boy, and I was amazed at a lot of the stuff he went through. I thought, oh, when I was a young girl, I thought boys had it all together, and I was just a big mess. But I found out that everybody's kind of a mess. (laughs) and. That was big wake-up for me, and the biggest population that is getting eating disorders right now is not young girls, it's young boys and men, and I think... There's several reasons for that, but cultural pressure on men and boys is different, but it's still very depressing and debilitating. But also, boys and men have become a source of income for the advertising agencies and for the companies. So if you make them feel bad about themselves, like they have with girls and women all these years, they will buy the product in order to make themselves be okay. And we have to sort of realize that it's not just a, it's a human problem.
1: Exactly. That's true, and I think especially now with social media, and I, I yes. mean, I see that with my children is huge, huge, huge influence. Which is, I think that yes, they both boys and girls are uh, grappling with that, you know, with yes. all these TikTok and I don't know what not that uh, all those constant comparisons. Yes. So it's very insidious, actually, for both. It is, and I
0: think that when, again, Carol and I started Beyond Hunger, we thought, well, people are going to get wise to this, and they're going to get wise to eating disorders and to dieting and how damaging dieting is, especially for the youth, and they're not going to do it for much longer, but we never, ever, ever saw social media coming we didn't see the internet coming we didn't see any of this coming so we were very naive and we thought we'll just do it for a few years and then people won't have this issue anymore we were crazy (laughs) because it got worse it's a million times worse worse.
1: yeah yeah Yeah. i'm wondering if you would like to share one of your poems so this is called lovely you my five-year-old son and i are snuggled together at bedtime when he looks at me with his bright blue-gray eyes and eagerly delivers these guidelines. Mama, if someone is feeling sad, they can open your poetry book and read a poem called, Lovely You. And then they will think, oh, I'm lovely. Yet, how difficult it is for most to embody this simple wisdom, so obvious to a little angel that the prerequisite for change is the opposite of self-disdain. How many can begin in the here and now, no matter the shape of their outer skin, extending a hand of friendship to themselves anyhow? How many can see the exquisiteness in their imperfections or view their body as a sanctuary worthy of tenderness and affection? rather than the contrary. How many can do life, whatever their size, because they realize that when you treasure something, you take wonderful care of it, and this state becomes the default setting, like breathing. How many can raise their voices and take responsibility for their choices, claiming their space with self-assurance not in apologetic, bold face? How many can see their dysregulated eating as just a signpost, illuminating? Pay attention, listen to what I have to say. Tolerate your uncomfortable emotions. They will show you the way. That it is not the exit, but the entrance. How many can look inside their closets and contemplate garments of different breath, gathering them all up with compassion. How many remember that hating oneself is far removed from our original splendor? It is a heavy coat we wear and can be removed with warm-hearted self-care. How many can hear their own stories with empathy, the shame, perfectionism, guilt, and blame, to see the whole woman of complexity not a saintly, unblemished container. This journey is not always easy. Work is needed to stay the course because self, love, appreciation, acceptance, trust is the only way through to lovely you. So, let us... Oh my gosh, that is so beautiful.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh, it just is perfect. And what a wonderful start your son gave you of the poem.
1: Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, these, all the things that I mention in the book, uh, I uh, had these chit-chats with my son. Yep. Between the ages of five and six. So sweet. And he actually said this thing, lovely you to me, as I mentioned in the beginning of the poem. Mm-hmm. And that kind of triggered writing it. I guess it is actually all about compassion, about being gentle with oneself, about self-acceptance, about mindfulness and kindness and all these things. Yes. I would say also even being compassionate with our inner critic. Yes. Which is very important. It's
0: sort of like the image I have of sitting down at a park bench and inviting your inner critic or the person inside of all of us that is wanting to beat us up, inviting them to sit next to you and say, what up with you? What's happening? (laughs) Who are you? And what do you want? And how can we work this out? Because actually, we're going to both be here. There's a great poem by Rumi. It's called Two Giant Mm -hmm. Fat People. And it says, God and I have become like two giant fat people living in a tiny boat. We keep bumping into each other and laughing.
1: That's wonderful. <laughs>
0: I know. i heard of this one. I think cool. of that with me and my part of me that sort of wants to jump to every little thing that I do is like, Oh, that's terrible. You shouldn't have done that. Or think about this. Don't do that. As a person, I'm sort of bumping into all the time. And when I remember it's still just me, then I just laugh and laugh about that.
1: Oh, I love that image. Mm -hmm. That is so gorgeous. I really so much
0: appreciate you being here today and talking to me about this. And I know it's uh, much later in Paris than it is here. So I'm wondering if you would read the
1: For Today on the Compassion card. Yes, I'd love to. Today, I will practice meeting each part of myself with compassion. When I feel critical of myself or others, I will consciously choose again to see the situation through the eyes of loving compassion. I just love that. I just love that, too. And I
0: feel like we had compassion when we were little babies. We had love and uh, acceptance for ourselves. And somewhere along the line, we lost it. And sounds like your little boy still has it, too, which is really great.
1: (laughs) Yes, I think with children, they are the best teachers to our original state, where we all come from. And yes, I love this part so much. And it also reminds me of uh, Rumi's The Guest House, mm. which is all about accepting each part of ourselves, compassion. And as he says, be grateful for whoever comes because each has been sent as a guide from beyond. I love that. Yeah, which I think is so important because and that's for me, I think the biggest Gift to myself is welcoming both the shadows and the light. Yes. And yes. Knowing that we need both to become whole, and we need to look at the darkness and the shadows, holding hands with compassion, because that's how we are able to sort of let go of all these sort of feelings and burdens and all of that. So yeah, agreed. It's so important.
0: Well, thank you very much and good night and au
1: revoir. <laughs> thank you so much for this really lovely conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you so much and talk to you soon.
0: Thank you for listening. And be sure and follow me on Patreon, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and it's notaboutfood.com. Thanks.